Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Tuesday, October 4th. So here's a dilemma that some politicians in Florida are facing now after Hurricane Ian. Let's say communities in your state are increasingly suffering death and destruction from sea level rise and hurricanes so severe you've never seen anything like it, but you refuse to reduce climate-changing emissions in your state. Well, that's a dilemma. Here's Florida Senator Rick Scott on All Things Considered last year with NPR's Ari Shapiro. Notice in this clip that Scott acknowledges climate change is real, but only suggests adapting to its impacts, word impacts, not doing anything to prevent more of it. We've got to focus on the impacts of climate change, but you've got to do it in a manner that you don't kill our economy. You're saying people need to survive hurricanes and get back to normal life. The UN is saying normal life is something of the past, and the future looks dire unless dramatic change happens now. Sounds like you're saying as long as it doesn't kill jobs or affect the economy. Well, I'm, what I think is we can do both. I think we can focus on the impacts of climate change and not put our jobs at risk and kill our economy. Impacts, yes. Prevention, no. See, Florida has a state law that allows communities to adapt to climate change, but prohibits localities from helping to prevent it. That's an actual state law. An article in the Tampa Bay Times in March, if you don't know about this, said, Tampa Bay Times, the last time Florida's legislature addressed the root cause of climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, it was in a law that effectively blocked cities from cutting emissions. Last year, Florida passed a law, it says, written by natural gas companies that prevented cities from banning the use of natural gas, a policy sweeping the country as part of a nationwide movement to cut emissions. Natural gas, which provides around 70% of the state's fuel at power plants and is also used in some homes for heating and cooking, is made of methane gas, which heats the atmosphere much more than carbon dioxide does. So... That was from the Tampa Bay Times in the year 2021 B.I., before Ian. And there you go. The Miami Herald this week published this context. It said the frequency of severe storms, Category 4 or 5, Ian was a 4, has been on the rise since 1980, according to a New York Times analysis. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, projects those powerful hurricanes will account for even more of our storms in the future in Florida because of climate change. Studies also suggest a 10% to 15% increase in rainfall related to hurricanes. Of course, we see this was a flooding event for a two degree Celsius global warming scenario, according to NOAA. So that from the Miami Herald this week. And not preventing climate change when your state disproportionately bears the brunt is one dilemma facing Florida politicians. Another is campaigning to reduce federal government spending while getting ready to ask Washington for billions in relief from the storm damage you won't help to prevent. Here again is Senator Rick Scott, this time this past weekend on CBS Face the Nation. The host, Margaret Brennan, had just asked him to condemn President Trump's latest racist remark. You've heard about this. He called Mitch McConnell's wife 
the former Transportation Secretary under Trump, Elaine Chao, McConnell's, quote, China-loving wife, Coco Chow, in a Trump rant against McConnell for McConnell voting for passing spending bills. As you'll hear, Scott ignores Trump's anti-Asian slur to focus on the spending part. This starts with Margaret Brennan's question about the slur. And you would agree that that language doesn't bring people together? I believe that what the I believe what the President Trump was talking about is the fact that we can't keep spending money. We are we're going to hurt our poorest families the most with this reckless Democrat spending, and we cannot. We got to stop it. We can't cave into their spending. But Senator Scott also had to answer a question from Margaret Brennan about how much of the hurricane damage in Florida he's going to ask the rest of the American taxpayers to foot the bill for. The disaster modeling firms have, you know, scale of damage here from 30 billion up to 100 billion. How much money is it that you think you need to go ask Congress for? We're going to find out. Hopefully, uh, most most things are covered by insurance. That's what that's what you hope. Now, Florida has has had a problem the last few years with their property insurance market. Uh, so hopefully uh, the insurance companies will be able to uh, to cover a lot of that. A problem with the property insurance market. So a big federal bailout will likely be needed, he said by implication. A senator who's a big proponent of market forces and not so much of government help. Hurricane Ian's winds have blown in that political dilemma, too. Let's talk about homeowners insurance in the age of climate change and after Hurricane Ian in particular. With us now is Wall Street Journal reporter, Leslie Sism, who specializes in reporting on insurance. She's got 30 years with the journal after getting an MBA at Columbia. Her latest article is called Flood Insurance Fell in Florida Before Hurricane Ian Struck. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Your article starts by describing a reduction in flood insurance coverage in recent years. Why was that happening? even as the effects of global warming on coastal areas everywhere were increasing? Oh, there are so many reasons. Um, to many homeowners, this is an expensive coverage. And in general, the biggest um, take-up rate for these specialized flood insurance policies are um, on homes um, that have mortgages and the lender requires the purchase of the flood insurance. Um, and generally, the lenders will require if the property is in one of the um, uh, areas of a flood map designated at highest risk. These are government flood maps. So one reason you have less of it is we've had an influx of homeowners into Florida in the last few years who paid cash for their homes. Thus, they don't have mortgages and they don't have to um, buy. They aren't required to buy the mm. um, insurance. In other instances, people... Um, um, who, who don't have the mortgage uh, may be encouraged by their insurance agents to go ahead and buy it, but they just think it's really expensive. And they, a lot of them say, hey, this area has never flooded before. I'm talking inland areas mostly here. Uh-huh. And they're willing to um, take a gamble <laughs> that there won't be a flood while they're living there. And um, as we've just learned, a lot of people make the wrong bet there. Yeah. So those eye-popping estimates from the experts, 
that Margaret Brennan cited in her question to Senator Scott, $30 billion to $100 billion in damage. That's besides the 100-plus lives lost, which, of course, is the most important thing. But on the dollar cost in physical damage, any idea what makes up most of that number? Is it damage to people's homes, or is it too early to tell? Um, several risk modelers have uh, figures out there. It, it, the, one of them puts the what's called the private sector insured damage at 63 billion of the estimated 100 billion. And this would go to uh, people who have wind damage on the, under their uh, and are covered by home insurance policies. And it, a lot of businesses are going to uh, be tapping into their business insurance. And you also have a lot of automobiles that are submerged and otherwise damaged. And those um, people's comprehensive car insurance covers that damage. So the 63 billion estimate is um, goes across home insurance, home, home business, and auto damage. Um, Interesting. And, well, can I can yeah. I dig in a little bit on something you yes. just said in that answer? Flood insurance is separate from other aspects of homeowners insurance. Like someone could be covered for the wind damage from Ian, but not from the water damage. Why is it separate like that? Okay. Um, Almost tragically, people don't understand that in the United States, dating at least to the 1960s, these have been um, flood damage is covered under a policy separate from a home insurance policy. At least since the 60s, the U.S. private sector home insurance business has excluded flood damage. Um, I could go into reasons why that's so, but it has been so for well over 50 years in the United States. But And it states a home insurance policy will state on one of its first pages, usually in fairly large letters, that this is does not cover flood. And but catastrophe after catastrophe, people don't realize that until their homes are flooded. Yeah. Leslie, Senator Scott spoke in that Face the Nation interview about providing insurance products that people can afford. Is he referring, without saying it, to government-subsidized flood insurance? Um, I'm not really certain what he's referring to. A lot of states do try to keep um, their insurance affordable. Of course, uh, that's sort of the definition of that is in the eye of the beholder. But the... Um, um, I mean, state insurance departments want people to be insured and they can't, they're, they're not going to be in, you know, the more expensive a policy gets, the, you know, the, the, the larger the number of people um, becomes who are uninsured or underinsured. Right. So well, there are, yeah. But, how much has the state of Florida or the federal government been subsidizing flood insurance even before, Ian, either subsidizing the insurance companies to offer affordable policies or subsidizing the homeowners and business owners directly? Right. The, there's long been a complaint by the private sector insurance company and a lot of taxpayers across the all of the United States that the 
government's national flood insurance program, through which most people buy their flood flood policies, has underpriced and subsidized um, the cost of the policies. And by such um, underpricing, that uh, has encouraged um, development of on the coast. More people are, you know, moving, building homes on the coast because they say, oh, well, look, we can get the flood policies, we can get the home policies, um, you know, we can afford them. So the um, the critics want these policies priced to, to completely match the actuarial risk these homes pose, and th that would drive the price up. Now, the National Flood Insurance Program, um, which is run, um, operated, managed by FEMA, is in the process of raising rates under, um, it's a multi-year project, but they are moving to a system that is gonna um, remove a lot of, that's gonna move a lot of the prices up to the better reflect their risk. In some instances, this means over, it could take a 10 year period to get to that, that level, but it's gonna take rates from some homes that are in the hundreds of dollars a year to four or $5,000 a year. So um, that there is this effort underway to remove the subsidies on, um, on many of the properties while some, I mean, there's a lot of sympathy by, by US taxpayers for lower income families who live, you know, historically or for many decades have lived in certain areas and, you know, um, uh, there's many people think maybe they need some direct subsidies to help pay their flood insurance, but um, you, you, overall you need to get the NFIP prices uh, at a level that will get people's attention and make them understand the risk, you know, which we're seeing play out in all the video of the damage in Southwest Florida. Jeff in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Jeff. Uh, hello, Brian. Uh, Brian, I teach environmental management, and I want to focus on another aspect of this, which is particularly troubling for homeowners along the coast, and that is a prime element of coastal climate adaptation will be not to rebuild in certain areas. And it's given a, it's been given a horrible term, planned, uh, planned retreat, which is probably the worst political term to use. Mm. But nonetheless, there are areas based on modeling uh, where we probably should not be rebuilding, and instead we should have... Uh, green infrastructure, what are called soft coastlines, that allow for water to surge in and then surge back. And if you put structures there and you harden you have hardened coastlines with bulkheads, uh, that undermines the ability of a region to react or respond to a climate change-related incident or, or any major storm. So that's a, a tough political decision maker, a decision for any policymaker, whether it be Republican or Democrat, to say to a community, you shouldn't be rebuild somewhere. But the science is pretty clear cut on that. And it's and it's a tough it's a tough call. Well, Jeff, if you uh, because people obviously love their homes, love their communities, if you teach environmental management, um, is is there something that's considered a best practice or where do you see this strategic retreat or whatever it should be called um, as as being determined by market forces or would government have to push it on people? Uh, well, the science has to come first, and that is uh, we need to do detail. In fact, this already exists, detailed coastal modeling of the areas that are most vulnerable the areas where you need to have, uh, uh, I'm not a, a coastal expert, but I think the terminology is return flow, where, where uh, surge can flow back into the ocean. 
And the modeling can tell you which areas are most vulnerable and which areas should have uh, should not have physical hard hard human made structures, but instead have dune systems and uh, and coastal wetlands uh, that can absorb uh, absorb a storm surge. And actually, they tend to protect uh, areas further upland. Uh, so there are a very well established suite of practices out there. Uh, so that the science is there, and it's a question of how mm-hmm. how can the science interact with the policy so that a public policy agenda can be established. And then from there, maybe there's some opportunity for private sector involvement. But uh, I think first the science and the public policy have to come together. So let me ask you, and then I'm going to ask Leslie the same question, and then we're out of time in this segment. But where do wealth and privilege come into play here? Are Florida's coastal homes generally upscale or luxury homes because the coast is considered desirable? Jeff, if you've looked at at Florida in this respect, um, and so the wealthier people maybe get to rebuild even if they shouldn't um, and build higher to protect their homes more or something like that, and less wealthy people bear the brunt? Uh that's a that's a sad reality. But even for wealthy people who want to rebuild in their uh, very appealing areas, there needs to be some public policy commitment to say here on this particular spot. And it could be one square mile, not an entire community where the modeling says don't build here. This is the most vulnerable spot. And this is a spot where we need to have natural systems functioning. And then uh, the governments have to play some role in in restricting that. And then from there, in areas that can be rebuilt, as, as your speaker was discussing, there are ways to harden structures. But there has to be some compelling um, reason to do that. And I, I hate to say, I hate to pick on the community where I grew up in Rockaway Peninsula, but after Hurricane Sandy, I walked along the beach in the Ponset and Bell Harbor, two very wealthy communities where the, the first and second rows of houses were seriously damaged many of them completely destroyed, and only a relatively small percentage of those homes have actually re- been rebuilt with obvious client, um, uh, storm surge protection measures. Uh, one of the most obvious ones is having the living structure one entire floor above, uh, well, raised up one entire floor, and the section below is, is basically soft components, maybe garage doors and the like, so when the storm surge runs through, it will push all that structure out of the way, all the material out of the way, but not damage the underlying structure. Uh, so that's being done. I've seen it there. I've seen it on Fire Island. But apparently most people make a decision not to do it. Their insurance companies don't pressure them. They don't want to make the extra investment. And, um, and it's not being done even in areas where there's enough wealth to do it. Thank you for your call. We really appreciate your contribution. Leslie, same question about the disparate impacts on people who are more wealthy or less wealthy from Hurricane E and and in the respects that we've been talking about? I think we are seeing a lot of our coastal areas increasingly be um, home to the wealthiest because the wealthiest can better afford the um, higher costs of um, the better construction and also they can better afford the rising insurance costs. Um, so it's just, a, it's a tough situation to say, um, to allow, you know, to, to see our coastal areas increasingly home to the super rich. Um, but the economics are going that way. 
uh, I mean, a lot of what is destroyed in these hurricanes are the older homes with where that house people of more modest incomes. And often they are underinsured and they don't have other resources to draw on to rebuild. And so a lot of instances, I've, I've seen this happen on the South Carolina coastline that's been hit by a lot of hurricanes over the past 25 years or so. The, the modest homes get swept away, demolished, and then the people don't have the money to, to rebuild. And so um, the, the more well-to-do people can come in and buy that land from them and then put up these much bigger and stronger elevated structures that your, um, your, your caller was talking about. Um, so, yeah, that's the situation, really. Leslie Sism covers insurance for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.